For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Over the past seven weeks, we've been doing a series called Life Together. I gotta say, I'm genuinely encouraged, and I know Dan and Andrew and others have been um, really enthusiastic about how excited you guys are, really, uh, genuinely, like your feedback is, is super encouraging. Um, I, I know that many of you have said, because I've, I've ended a lot of these sermons with, all right, whose hand is in the pile? And many of you have either texted me or emailed me or we've talked on the phone, and you said, Rob, I'm all in. Consider my hand in the pile with you, mate, which is fantastic. But here's my concern, though. My concern is that this series, Life Together, will largely become just some nice ideas about church life, but it sort of fades into white noise. Kind of like during lockdown. Maybe during lockdown you've found yourself daydreaming about the ideal holiday. Right? If you could just sort of your makeup, you could go anywhere in the world. And maybe you've shared this ideal holiday with some of your family members. And they've affirmed, oh, that would be so amazing. You know, this resort here, you know, whatever it might be. But you know and they know it, it probably won't happen. Right? It's, it's, it's fun to think about. It's exciting. Oh, wouldn't that be so cool? Oh, it'd be so great. But not likely to occur. And that's the concern with a series like this. Might be some interesting things to think about, might be challenging at times, but, mm, you, know, you know, look, life must go on, right? The other concern that we have is with a series like this, Life Together, for one, it's quite long, so this is the eighth week, and maybe there's been one or two sermons that have stood out to you, which, praise God, that's great, but you s have a hard time seeing it as sort of a cohesive whole. In other words, you sort of view the sermon series almost like a interesting one-offs, but they're a bit disjointed, they're a bit fragmented. Like, oh, I really like the one on giving. I really like the one on holiness or whatever. It's kind of like, have you ever had a big puzzle set out in front of you? Maybe some of you are doing more puzzles with lockdown now. And you've got this sunset in France or whatever, and, and you've got this beautiful piece to the puzzle, 
And you're like, wow, maybe you connected it with one other piece, but you're sort of looking at this scattered, you know, 1,000, 2,000, or 5,000, whatever pieces on a table going, I just don't know how this beautiful piece fits with the rest, fits with the whole. So our prayer today is that you begin to, as this series, really get your hands around it, and not only just intellectually understand it, but get excited to put your shoulder to it, to take some personal ownership in the truths that we've been talking about. So here's where we're going. In order to help you with that, we're going to do a overview of where we've been. Just a, a simple, basic, brief overview of all the points. After that, we're going to talk about where do we go from here? How do we move from just nice ideas to actually getting to the rubber meets the road? And that's what we're going to talk about, a church covenant. Church covenant. And I'll explain what that is. And lastly... We're going to have a time of Q&A where you can, if you've, during this, you can fire in your questions to uh, Dan's mobile there, and um, we'll try, Dan and I will come up here and try to answer some of your questions as best we can. If they're tricky ones, I'll just pass them on to Dan, okay? So that's where we're headed. Overview, church covenant, Q&A. But before we launch into that, why don't we pray? Lord, we again... Thank you for this time to um, reflect upon these biblical truths. Lord, we pray that you would work in such a way that these aren't just nice ideas, but they, they really become the lifeblood of this church as we are doing life together. And we ask these things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Now, when people pass by prior to lockdown, I should say, but when people pass by this building, every now and then, if, unless they get it confused with Mackers, but every now and then, I bet some of them might wonder, I wonder what goes on in that place. I wonder what kind of people are meeting in there, what, what they're doing. They may not actually stop to have a look themselves, but as they just sort of blow through the roundabout here on Henry Perry Drive, and they just look at it really quick. I want, I've no doubt, they're pop, some of them go, I wonder what's going on in there. I wonder what kind of people they are. How would you want them to think about us? I'm sure there'd be a lot of things, right? We'd, oh, well, we want, to know, want them to know that we're loving or we're this, and, th- and that's all great. I, I'd hope at the, if we had a list, at the very top of that list would be that we're followers of Jesus, right? That, that we are disciples of Jesus, but then how are those people to know that? How are they to discern that we're followers of Jesus? We don't have matching t-shirts that say that, thankfully. We don't have a, a special language or a, a unique, you know, handshake. So how can they decipher that we're disciples of Jesus? How do they know? Well, the, look what Jesus said about it. John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Reciprocal love is what marks out, distinguishes a Christian church, a Christian community. It's, it's how people will see that we're disciples of Christ. It's the marker. Now that sounds good, but what does that look like? What does that look like in our day-to-day relationships? 
humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. Where am I getting those? That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, this is how we live out our calling, right? This is how you walk in a manner worthy of your calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, as each of you look at this verse on the screen in Ephesians 4, I'd bet no one is protesting this idea. I bet no one's opposing this. At face value, I don't imagine, when we talk about Christian unity, I don't imagine you're right now putting your hands on your hips, stomping your foot and saying, I oppose this. But you sort of expect this. So it sounds good. And on paper, we like this idea. But what does this look like bringing it closer to home? What does this look like in our church, in our church life? How do we define this? Because it sounds good, doesn't it? Maintain the, you know, spirit of, what is it? The unity and the bond of peace, blah, blah, blah. But, but how, do, how do we define that? Or do we just leave it floating? Do we just sort of leave it out there in this romanticized, wouldn't that be great if we were sort of vision of unity? I don't think that's the most responsible thing to do. I think we actually need to boil this thing down to a statement. One that we can all say, yeah, simple enough. And here's one the elders have worked on. We will pray and work for unity in this church. We will pray and work for unity in this church. Nothing super complex going on there. Maybe we could have made it better. <laughs> but nothing super complex, right? It, it, but it does provide something tangible enough for us to know what we can expect of one another, that we're going to pray and work towards unity in this church together. But I want you to take a closer look at this statement. We will pray and work for unity where? In this church. All right. Who are the people in this church? For starters, how about the people who actually show up? Those who regularly gather here each Lord's Day. What if I told you that not long ago, I was at the shops here in Wyoming, and I met someone, total stranger to me, but they informed me that they're a member here of Wyoming Church of Christ. I've never seen their face before, and I've been the pastor here the last three years. But don't worry, don't worry, they're a member here. I don't know them from a bar of soap. Now, you would think that's a bit absurd, right? How, how can this person say that they're a member when they haven't been here the last three years or they rarely, if ever, come here? That leads us to our next point, the importance of gathering together. Gathering together. Look what the author of Hebrews says about gathering. Hebrews 10, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see today drawing near. He tells them to spur one another on. It's a great picture, isn't it? You're going to see this with the Olympics, teams that have solidarity and camaraderie. They're spurring one another. Come on, come on. Do that. Live in that way. Spur one another on. Okay, but the question is, how's that going to happen with a church if there aren't meeting (laughs) and they're not there to count? Like, how's that going to happen if they're not, if they're isolated? Well, it's impossible, right? Which is why he says, don't neglect to meet together. You know, in our contemporary Christian circles uh, and our contemporary Christian culture, we might hear that idea of meet together and say, oh, yeah, 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 of course, of course. I'm always consistent to meet up with my Christian friends over a coffee or go for a walk or text them or whatever. That's not bad. See, but the problem is, though, you can't take this idea meet together and then redefine it because the word meet together literally means synagogue with each other. It's the act of coming together as a group to assemble as a community. Look how Paul talks about local church gatherings or Christians congregating together in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 5.4, he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. He says in chapter 14, if, therefore, the whole church comes together. It's interesting, he doesn't say, if you so happen to come together. No, 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 he just assumes it, doesn't he? When you gather. Chapter 11, verse 18, he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church. I realize this might sound like a no-brainer, but a church that doesn't gather is no church at all. Gathering together isn't simply a nice thing to do. It really is part of what a church is. A local church, by definition, is an assembly. God has saved us as individuals to become a visible community. Did you hear that? Yes, the Lord has saved you as an individual, but he's done so so that you become a visible community. The church is the gospel made visible. You see, the gospel is a message, but the gospel becomes visible when the local church assembles. The church is the gospel made visible. The irony with all this, though, what I'm saying right now is we can't meet. We can't gather today. So my prayer is that the Lord, in his providence, would use this season to burn in our hearts a a, a yearning to come together. And by the way, you don't have to want to gather with or like the people that you gather with here, but the Lord calls you to do so. We don't gather because we have and share all things in common. That's one of the things I think our church is uniquely positioned as it is right now because we have a bunch of random quirky people that come here on a Sunday morning, myself included. I mean, we, we don't, you can go to some churches and go, ah, it's the surfy church. No wonder they're all friends. It's the white collar, 
you know, eastern suburban Sydney church, right? No wonder they all, it's, well, because they would probably all be hanging out irregardless of Christianity. But truly and really, without insulting you, I think our church has a unique position because we have a lot of internationals here. We have a lot of quirky people like myself here. And yet we're coming together under the banner of Jesus, you see, for no other reason. That's unique and that's special. So may the Lord burn in our hearts a desire to assemble. Now, when that day comes, when we open up these doors, we can gather again. It's exciting. But what do we do with the people who don't come back? I don't mean the very first Sunday. I mean three months, six months, nine months out of lockdown. They're still MIA. We've reached out to them, called them, messaged them, Facebook messaged them. But when it comes to gathering here with us on the Lord's Day, they're fully apathetic about it. No apologies. There's no concern that they have to gather with us. Are those people connected with this church? Maybe by association. Maybe in their own imagination, but not in reality, right? Not only that, we need to count on one another. I mean, if I'm in a low spot spiritually, or I need correction, I need to count on you, friend that you'll be here to help me. So can I count on that? This is why, you see, we need to make a commitment up front to do what Hebrews 10 says, not neglecting meeting together. So here's the statement that outlines the importance of this. When it comes to our gathering, we will commit to regularly gathering on the Lord's day, not neglecting the necessity of meeting together. We will commit to regularly gathering on the Lord's Day, not neglecting the necessity of meeting together. Look, sometimes our bodies get sick. We can't gather. Sometimes we're on holiday. We're out of town for business. We can't gather. That's normal. Yet I cannot see how sleeping in, pursuing a hobby, playing sport, or even attending a unique event is a legitimate reason for skipping church. Put more bluntly, I'd argue that non-attendance is either a gateway to sin or a reflection of sin. Because gathering isn't about developing some religious habit. It's not about ticking a box out of guilt. We gather each week so that the whole church together can glorify God. So will you commit, my friend, to regularly gathering on the Lord's Day, not neglecting meeting together? Next, I want us to think about holiness. Holiness, holiness together. Let me ask you this. Do you think God cares... Do you think God cares how his people live? Does the Lord care? Well, perhaps the prophet Ezekiel can answer that. Ezekiel says, 
And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and with which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, even when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. See, in this passage, Israel was called to be living witnesses of God's holiness. And in the same way as the local church, as us, Wyoming Church of Christ, we are bearers, we are ambassadors of God's holy name in the world. Titus 2 puts it this way, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, you hear that? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Do you notice how this text begins with God's grace? You see that there? So recipients of God's grace live this way. Where grace reigns, grace trains. Now, if holiness is such an important thing to the Lord, do you reckon that we should be concerned about it? (laughs) And would it be worth having some kind of statement that declares we're going to live in such a way that honors the Lord? Here is one again for you. We will seek by God's grace to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, We will do this remembering that we are united to Christ, living new lives in which we resist sin and pursue holiness. The word there, pursue holiness, is key. This side of heaven, my friend, we will never reach perfection. But the Lord has called us to pursue holiness. Now, we need each other to do that. We need care. We need encouragement to do that. We can't do that on our own. And so now Dan's going to come. And I thought, when we talk about caring, let's bring up the caring pastor to do such a thing as that. So, anyway. Yeah, good on you, Rob. (laughs) Hey, hopefully you found that helpful so far. Uh, Just to to get the picture again of what we've been looking at over the last couple of months. Uh, We've had a couple of good questions come through, so keep those rolling in. Uh, The number's just up on the screen there. Uh, But we'll keep looking at uh, caring together. And, uh, you know, newsflash, we've been in lockdown now for about a month. uh, And uh, many of us are feeling that sense of of isolation from that. Uh, A bit like if you caught the the Tokyo uh, Olympics opening ceremony the other night, there was that image of the, the person running on the treadmill underneath the spotlight almost all alone in the middle of the stadium. Uh, you know, many of us have been feeling that sense of, of oh, I'm isolated, I'm apart from people. For me, I, I've noticed that I've been talking to my cat more, uh, just this normal conversation, well, a one-way conversation. And, uh, yeah, every passing day it seems more normal, so we need to get out of lockdown soon. <laughs> but uh, praise God that he's designed the church not to be just people who are isolated from each other, not physically, not emotionally, not spiritually. Actually, we're meant to be together, as Rob's been saying, but also to care together, to really care for one another. We're not just isolated individuals, but a family that cares for one another. And I wonder what comes to your mind as you hear that phrase, caring. What image do you have of a caring church? 
uh, maybe one that's friendly and, and warm. It's almost like stepping into a nice big hug when you enter in. You know, at the very least, there's a, there's a warm handshake at the door, at least once restrictions lift. And uh, those things can be part of a, a caring church, of course, but the biblical picture is more than that. And so here are two statements I'm going to give you that we've been working on as elders, which a truly caring church will be committed to. Here's the first one. We will rejoice in each other's happiness and endeavor to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. This is deeper than just a a handshake or a smile. Uh, This is being connected to each other so that we know the good and the bad and the ugly of what's going on in each other's lives. Uh, Just as Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And on the sermon on this topic, I remember um, the, the point that rejoicing with each other can actually be pretty tough if we're celebrating something that someone has now got that we wish we had, right? <laughs> There's actually an aspect of repenting of sin that can often uh, come to the fore when we're rejoicing together. And yet, what a beautiful picture when we do. Uh, I was out for a walk with a, a Christian brother over the last week who's had a pretty rough trot of it recently. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, has just sort of really turned a corner and was really rejoicing and praising God. And, you know, we're meant to be able to rejoice in those moments together, praise God together. It's so too uh, to weep together when something isn't going well for someone. You know, the church isn't just full of people who once a year, in the, uh, the, na- the words of the mental health campaign, ask, are you okay? It's a good question to ask, but actually we're asking that of each other all the time. Uh, we're emotionally connected, we're aware. What's going on for your brother? What's going on for your sister? How can I pray for you? Let me listen to you. Let me be, bring the, the truth of the scriptures to bear on you and on this issue. But a caring church, of course, does even more than this. It's more than just rejoicing and weeping together. So here's our second statement. We'll be devoted to one another, humbly exercising care and watchfulness over each other. And as occasion may require, we will speak the truth in love so that all may be built up in the faith. True care isn't just about whether someone is happy or sad. See, it's also about the state of someone's heart, the state of their soul, their spiritual well-being. Part of being a caring church is that we watch over each other's spiritual health. As we saw in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, that is literally the spirit people, so you all who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So this is about caring more than just whether or not you know, we might offend someone or tick them off. Uh, rather, we care about the state of their heart and the fate of their soul. We care about how our brothers and sisters are going spiritually. Is there sin in their life that just isn't getting worked out? If we notice sin, we take it seriously. You know, gently, lovingly, you know, spirit of gentleness, but seriously. And you know, I want that. I've been growing out my, my COVID beard, my lockdown beard. And uh, you know, if I had something stuck in it, I would want you to tell me. <laughs> 
I want to be told if there's a weakness or sin or something going on that, that a brother or sister is concerned about. And in fact, that's what church is about. We're called to be a caring church, which is more than just friendliness. It's being emotionally connected, rejoicing, weeping together. And it's also more than that. It's being spiritually connected, helping to check how we're going, watching over each other, keeping each other accountable, praying with each other about our sin. Now, our next point, evangelizing together. Now, I could ask, put up your hand if you find the idea of evangelism a bit scary. And even though I can't actually see you from this side of the camera, you know, I know that there would be lots of hands up if I asked that question. And, you know, honestly, my hand would be up too. Um, I can get up and speak to a crowd or speak to a camera without really any problem whatsoever. But I'm actually a fairly reserved, socially anxious sort of person when it comes to just normal conversations. Uh, and so I find evangelism pretty hard. Uh, but if we believe that the gospel is true, if we believe that heaven and hell are very real, if we believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved and the gospel is the only way to have a relationship with God, then we can't just forget about evangelism. As we saw in Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, what an invitation. There's this invitation to, to call on Jesus to save us from God's judgment and from sin and all that it corrupts in us, fear and shame. Now, everyone who calls on Jesus, trusting in his death for them, will be saved. What a wonderful promise. What good news. But then verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You get the point. Unless we actually open our mouths to speak the gospel, people can't be saved. But on the other hand, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. God loves it when we declare the truth of what he's done to save us. And so here's a statement, simple one. We will seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will seek the salvation of our family and friends. And just break that down a little bit. The word we. It's not just I, it's we. This is a, a community project, not just for lone rangers, and not just for those who think that they're really good at evangelism either. Uh, in fact, to be honest, I think that in large part, my um, reservedness and reticence in evangelism at times is, uh, is due to the fact that I feel like I'm in it alone, but actually I'm not. Uh, we're in this together, praying with each other, for our non-Christian friends, uh, aiming to meet each other's non-Christian friends and form relationships together, all of that sort of stuff. It's a community project. So we will seek. Now, seek is a very intentional word. It's not just we're, we're waiting for the opportunity to come. We're actually looking for opportunities to be made. We're seeking the salvation of our family and friends. And it's the salvation that we're seeking. We're not just seeking a better life for them. But it's actually seeing them connected to God. And, and how is it that people are saved? Only through the message of the gospel. And so we have a message. God 
man, Christ's response, as we saw in the sermon. Uh, God, who is completely loving, the creator of all things, uh, but also right in his judgments. He looks upon man in our sin uh, and sees that, in fact, we deserve his judgment. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, take the judgment we deserve, and now we must respond in repentance and faith. That is the gospel. It's a simple message. I just said it in, what, 20 seconds, right? That is the message we have that can save our friends and family. And finally, well, they're the ones that we've got here, our family and our friends. Of course, we want to see everyone saved. But one of our big commitments we need to have as a church is to reach the people that Rob and I can't actually really reach, right? We're here every Sunday, we're preaching, um, but there are people that you know and you're well connected to that chances are we'll never really know and never really be connected to. And so you've actually got a wonderful opportunity to bring them the message of the gospel. Are you willing to commit to this, to evangelizing together? Because a church that doesn't hunger for the lost will eventually die. Think about that scene in Titanic, right, where it's, it's rubbed up against the, uh, the iceberg and the water is all flooding in. People are clambering into lifeboats, but then you've got the, uh, the violinists and the classical music players, and they all agree we're going to go down with the ship, right? And they're all playing together. Now, they're the best of friends. They're with each other till the end, but they're still going down with the ship. Now, the church isn't designed to be like the Titanic with people who just stay with each other till the end, but still go down with the ship. It's actually designed more to be like one of the lifeboats. You know, we're out there on the front line together. We're seeing people out in the water who aren't yet in the lifeboat. They're floundering around. Well, they need to be in with us. And so we work together to bring them on board, no matter the challenges. Right? That's what a normal church is meant to be, like a lifeboat. And so on to our next point, giving together. If we commit to uh, caring together, evangelizing together, also we need to be committed to giving together. Now, it's often said that there are two things you can't bring up at the dinner table, religion and politics. Here we are at church, so we've got religion covered. That's okay. But there is one thing that you can't bring up at church, finances, money, right? And yet it's so important to talk about money. Consider these quotes. Martin Luther said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse, or wallet for that matter. Charles Spurgeon says, with some, the last part of their nature that ever gets sanctified is their pockets. You see, God doesn't just avoid what happens with our credit card statement or in our wallets. His plan is to actually sanctify our spending and our saving so that we would use every dollar we have for his glory. And, you know, obviously as a church, we can make mistakes either way in talking about this stuff. We can talk too much, as some churches do. And it sounds like they're always clamoring for your money. Uh, but we can also talk too little. 
And so here's a statement that if you're a Christian and this is your church, then hopefully you can commit to it. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the financial needs of this church. And it's not just to, you know, some Christian need out there somewhere, which may be good to support, but it's to this church firstly and primarily. That's the statement. We'll contribute cheerfully and regularly to the financial needs of this church. And uh, in that week's sermon, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians 9. We saw how Paul called on the Corinthian church to have their gift ready, to prepare it in advance, to be intentional. Uh, there's something in that for us, of course, not just to be, oh, spontaneous, what have I got in my pocket today, but, but actually preparing and being intentional. And also, uh, of course, the well-known verse uh, from 2 Corinthians 9-7, that God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, we give because we're happy to give. Uh, we're happy that God has given us so much. He's saved us in His Son, Jesus Christ, and He gives us life and breath and everything we need. And so, of course, we want to respond by giving so that others might know this same Lord that we know. God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, as we saw also, our financial giving is actually an index, often, of where our heart is at. Because as our Lord Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our money goes often shows what our heart is chasing. And so if we don't really ever give, if it never really costs us, then do we really believe this stuff? Is it really valuable to us? Or if we give just a, a little bit and it doesn't actually really change anything in our lifestyle or to our bottom line, then how important is the advance of the gospel to us? What it comes back to, again, is Jesus' words. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God's desire is for his church to be filled with generous givers. In fact, just generous people. People who've been saved and who love him and want to see others come to know him. And they're willing to give to make it happen. That's just a, a normal church, isn't it? That's just a normal Christian way of life when you put it that way. Oh, yeah, of course. If God's done this, then of course I want to give. So finally, as we're thinking through these commitments, we reflected also about a month ago on the nature of church itself. What is a church anyway? And I asked the question, you know, when lockdown is all done, and it's still not done, <laughs> but when lockdown is all done, why come back to a place like this? Uh, why not just stay at home and worship with your family or meet up with Christian friends every now and then? Why come to a church? Why are those things not church? Well, because uh, a church is, is actually biblically and historically marked out by a number of things. And obviously, one of those things is believing and preaching the gospel and holding to sound doctrine, holding to the scriptures as true. Uh, but we saw three things in particular. And so a church is a group of people who commit to this statement. We will work together to uphold the centrality of preaching, believers' baptism and communion, that is the sacraments, and biblical church discipline. So preaching, sacraments, discipline. Now, in Acts 2, we saw how the early church was brought into being by the preached word. It was the foundation of the church. And we saw all across the scriptures, starting from the Old Testament, how uh, when God speaks through his word, people stop to listen. That's why preaching is so important. And uh, any true church continues that pattern today. 
just as they continue practicing the sacraments, baptism and communion. And we saw that baptism and communion aren't just for our own private spiritual sort of significance. Uh, they're actually a communal thing. You know, baptism is a moment where we declare to the church, I'm committed to Jesus, and where the church declares back to us, we're committed to you. And communion as well is a moment where we actually declare together that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So any true church will baptize new believers and continue to practice the Lord's Supper. And finally, any true church will practice biblical church discipline, which, as we noted, might sound like a harsh word, discipline. Uh, but uh, as we saw, 90% of church discipline is just the normal stuff that happens in church life. It's when we're praying together about our sin. It's when we're discussing the sermon together and, and exploring how we're going to continue to cling to the Lord in faith and continue to repent. Uh, it's when we're at our growth group discussing the scriptures together and then talking honestly about our lives and, and helping each other continue to go forward in following Jesus. That, that's church discipline on the front foot. But Jesus also gives us a plan for when that doesn't work, when sin continues to thrive or fester. Uh, in Matthew 18, we saw that if we notice someone who sinned, go and talk with them. If they still won't repent, bring a witness. If they still won't repent, repent bring it to the church. If they still won't repent, treat them as a non-believer. Right? So Jesus gives us this pattern for church discipline. And again, imagine if that didn't happen in the church. right? Like if someone was going on sinning and they kept sinning and kept sinning, and it was against both God and other people in the church. It's affecting things. And no one ever talked about it. You know, what an unsafe place to be. Both for the people sinned against and for the witness of the church. But also for the person who's sinning. Because they remain self-deceived that things are fine. When in fact their soul is in danger of hell. And so any true church will work together to uphold the centrality of preaching believers' baptism and communion and biblical church discipline. And that's why when lockdown ends, you need to be at a church like this one. Now, hopefully up on the left-hand side of the screen there, you can see all these different points that we've covered over the last couple of months. And I wonder, what's the picture that you get when you consider a church with all of those qualities? You know, a united church, a gathered church, a holy church, and so on. What kind of church is this? Is this an unrealistic picture of church? You know, the bar is too high, Dan. This is too much for us. Well, I don't think so. I actually think this is a very normal church. This is simply what church is supposed to be. It's a church that takes the gospel and God's word and each other very seriously. This is simply what the church is. But whether or not that actually happens, whether or not we experience that and live that out, really just depends on our commitment. Are we willing to commit to make these things a reality in our church? It depends on us putting our hands in the middle or signing our name to the dotted line or whatever metaphor you want to use here and really putting our shoulder to making this happen. It depends not just on me and Rob and Andrew and other key ministry leaders, but actually on you, you who's listening to this today. And so now I'm going to hand back over to Rob, who's going to unpack what it looks like to sort of commit 
the next step to this church is this this next stage of our life together. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Dan. Well, hopefully that's a helpful review. Lot there, lot to take in. But I hope that with all this stuff, you can really begin to see that this is just basic biblical instructions on our life together, isn't it? Um, There's nothing super complex here. As Dan said, it's not like this is just we're holding the bar at perfection. But this is how the Bible describes our life together as a church. So where do we go from here? Who's ready to put their hand in the pile, so to speak? Well, we believe the best way forward to do that, to actually put the, the rubber to the road with our hand in, is to form what's called the church covenant. For this church, for Wyoming Church of Christ, to have what's called a church covenant. Now, that might sound a bit strange or a bit foreign to your ears. Like, what, 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 what's, a, what's a church covenant? Well, church covenant is simply a summary of how we agree to live together. It's summary. It's statements. It's actually all the statements that we were just listing for you of how we agree to live together as a church. Here's the thing. We already have a statement of faith. It's on our website if you need to look at it. That statement of faith summarizes what we believe together as a church. A church covenant is a summary of how we agree to live together or as God would have us live. Now, granted, it doesn't include everything, but it does provide a general outline for what it means to follow Christ together. Um, just so you know, too, and just to, I'm sure you're aware of this, it's, when you look at sports teams or companies or whatever it might be, there are contracts, there are expectations. Uh, in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns let go uh, years back, they let go of one of their star players because off the court, he was involved in uh, domestic abuse. Now, prior to this star player signing his contract, they had this little clause called a moral clause embedded into his contract so that if he went off the rails, even if it was off the basketball court, they could sack him. And it's because the Phoenix Suns wanted a reputation, so to speak, that wasn't tarnished. And this particular player, which, rightly so, domestic abuse is bad, and they didn't want that reflecting upon them as, a, as an organization, as a team, and so they traded him. And they could appeal to the moral clause in order to trade him. Um, back in the, in the 80s, in the 1980s, IBM, right? We all know IBM. Um, they had a very detailed uniform that they expected their salesmen to wear. It was a dark suit, a white shirt, and a dark tie. They wanted you to know that you were dealing with an IBM man. And they wanted a certain image associated with their organization so that their corporate reputation would look professional. Now, if that's true in secular sport and in just the non-Christian corporate world out there about coming together, having solidarity, having identity, having expectations. I mean, if that's true in the Bulls Club or the Harley-Davidson Club, and there's expectations, how much more should that be true of the local church? 
See, a church covenant is a sign of commitment to each other, upholding a biblical standard. Here's how one church historian put it. He said this, A church covenant is a series of written pledges based on the Bible, which church members voluntarily make to God and to one another regarding their basic moral and spiritual commitments and the practice of their faith. So you see, in other words, a statement of faith is, is, is what we believe. A church covenant is how we then have accountability to each other to live those things out, to live those truths out. Some of you were here at our last AGM. And if you remember, I, I, I drew a circle on the board and I put WCOC. The next step in saying, well, I want to be in that circle is a church covenant. I didn't explain it then, but that's what I'm after. That's what the elders are wanting this church to have, is a church covenant. Um, so once we're out of lockdown, we're, we're actually planning on having uh, a, a, a Sunday. We'll have several of them because we want you to come to this. We'll have, um, but it'll just be a, it'll be a one session where you can hear about this. We'll unpack this church covenant together, what the gospel is, what we believe. And you can ask yourself, is this a church that I want to be a part of? Well, a church covenant helps formalize that. It sort of puts the ring on the finger in a sense and says, yes, I'm willing to make a commitment to this church. And so we'll get to unpack that, hopefully, Lord willing, soon, as lockdown um, unfolds for us. But we'll see how that goes. I, I, don't, I can't control that. So... Um, if you have questions, I'd, I'd encourage you to go ahead and text those through. Um, but what we're going to do now is we're going to, uh, we're going to, well, you can sing there in your lounge room um, on a fantastic song. And so let's, let's do that now. And then afterwards, um, Dan will already be up here and I'll come join him. And then we can uh, try to cover some of those questions that you might have. Yeah, uh, keep those questions coming through um, as we sing, if you like. Uh, we're going to sing Take My Life, just as, a, I think, a, a really good response to what we've just heard about committing uh, not only to uh, this church, but ultimately really to the Lord. So let's sing. Yeah, so uh, we're going to take some of your questions now, and uh, I'll grab your phone off you there, That's Rob, or my phone. Your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, you can see here we're still pretty socially distanced, so uh, Rob, you can even move over just a little bit more if you want. Subtle hint. No, other way. Oh. <laughs> You've been saying that for the last three years prior to COVID, though. But, uh, one one thing that someone said, I was just looking at your phone, is, hey, this is really good. These are biblical principles. Look, like... Count my family. This is at this juncture in time when churches can't meet, and when churches are willing to compromise on things. Like this is 
critical for the church. So um, good. a family sent that in, That just to start that off. A um, couple others just said, yep, really good biblical principles, very good stuff. Um, yeah, it's heaps encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that someone said is, um, well, what if I don't have much money? Could I just give time and a substitution to that? Um, the short answer is I'd say no. Um, it doesn't matter. Remember, I, one of the things I, I shared in, um, in the uh, talk last week, in the sermon last week, was you look at the nation of Israel, right? They were out in the wilderness. They built the tabernacle. I mean, if you're out in the bush and you've got no job, you've got no money, Right? Um, same with the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians. Um, it says that they gave out of their poverty. Now, one of the things you didn't hear us talk about last week was set any figure or percentage. Um, and we can perhaps get into that, into that another time. But um, So it's not about a figure, but, it, but I do think that there isn't, I don't, and Dan, you can jump in here as well, but I don't think giving, I think, uh, you know, people have said this, we should give of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. That helps our time, our talent, our treasure. So, in other words, I've been at some churches where actually people were really generous with their treasure, with their money, but not so much with their time, and not so much with their talents. Um, and I've been at other churches where people felt like they can give a lot of their time and not treasure. I think it's all the above. I really do. And I think, again, this is a, this is a heart thing. So, we're not, you're not going to hear setting up a percentage or things like that, but... I guess I'd be, uh, if I was in a place where, you know, hey, I don't have a lot to give, it's, it's not the amount, but it's more just that you are sacrificing something, both time, talent, and treasure. But you can jump in a minute. Yeah, no, that, that's good, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I think as well, like, we're, we're just wanting to call people to what the scriptures call people to. Um, so, uh, you know, God makes a big deal about what we do with our money, uh, both in the day-to-day uh, and also in giving to Christian ministry, um, you know, that point of where our treasure is, our heart is also, um, that, that treasure idea, Jesus specifically links to money. So, you know, uh, we, we just want to go with, with where God's word goes on this stuff. Uh, another question. Can I jump in Sorry. one, more, one yeah, quick yeah. thing there as well? I would just commend you guys. This church, historically, in the last three years I've been here, has been quite generous. Like, we're, we're not yeah, a big agreed. church. yeah. Um, but the fact that, like, yeah, we, 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 you guys have been very, so just to commend you for that, like, that's really encouraging. Yeah, completely agreed. Uh, question here about uh, baptism. So in the sermon, it was stated that baptism is a moment you declare you are a part of the church, and the church declares that, you know, they're committed to you and, and you're a part of them. Um, I've been baptized as a teenager, says this person, when I was with another church. Is this sufficient? Or do I need to be baptized again? Like, do you have to be baptized each time to show you're committed to that new local church? Yeah. Great question. Um, and this is the difficulty with talking to a camera. I don't... <laughs> where was that? What church? Um, you, you know, um, w- as the elders, we would hold to... Uh, a sufficient baptism would be one that is... You actually have a true profession of faith, that you've been born again, and then that you're not just sprinkled, um, but that you are immersed, um, baptized underwater completely, and brought up. Because it, it symbolizes buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And so, um, yeah, I, 
maybe, and again, this is the difficulty of talking to a camera, but <clears throat> I know some people that they have, uh, it's easier to just talk to you, I guess, but, but some people have, will show up at this church and maybe they were part of a cult or maybe they were part of a, a church that um, is just not orthodox in what it believes. Um, like, for instance, it, it's a church that re would reject the Trinity. Um, it might be what's called a oneness Pentecostal church or, or whatever, and, and they weren't actually baptized as they're supposed to be in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, I would, you know, I'd be concerned about that. Not so much about the person's heart that's coming, asking good questions. I think that's great. But more that that's actually a legitimate baptism itself because it wasn't done in an orthodox way. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that's that's such a key point in terms of um, it, it matters who was doing the baptizing, like not not specifically just the person, but the church. So yeah. if if that church was a, a church that um, upheld the truth of the gospel as we understand it, and upholds upholds the truth of Scripture as we understand it, uh, is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the nature of the baptism. Um, then, then you can go, oh, great, you know, that, that was probably a legitimate baptism then. <laughs> if that's the case, you don't need to be baptised again. In right. fact, the scriptures say, don't be baptised again. It's one baptism, Ephesians 4 tells us. Um, and so, you know, in that moment where you've declared your commitment to Jesus and to his church, as in his whole church, the universal church, that carries through to future churches as well because you're committed to Jesus and he's almost like capital C church. Um, however, uh, that's a really good point in terms of, well, what if it was at a cult? Uh, in fact, uh, in, the, in the past, so some years ago, um, there was someone here who, um, you know, we got talking to who had come from a, uh, a cult and, um, and they had been baptised there and we asked them, you know, have you been baptised as a believer? And they said yes and we talked that through. They became convinced that it wasn't a legitimate baptism because, uh, in fact, in that cult they were told that this baptism was uh, actually salvational. So it's, it's what's called regenerational baptism. That was the moment when they were saved. Uh, and so they looked to that moment as like this work they'd done to earn God's favour. Uh, and so we had to say, no, that's absolutely not the case. They became convinced of that, clung to Jesus in faith, and then were baptised properly, um, not as a work to save, but as a response to faith. Yeah. Hopefully that's helpful. Happy to, whoever that person is, to chat with you more on it. It's good. Um, gathering. So, when it comes to being at church in person, how would you help someone who has social anxiety or social awkwardness with meeting people, finds that time stressful, full of fear, it's like this barrier for them, it's, ah, oh, I just can't really get there. What would you say to someone like that? Yeah, obviously you want to be sensitive to where people are coming from, but at the same time, giving, giving, casting a vision that's greater than themselves and how they're feeling. You know, one of the ways that if someone's feeling quite anxious is to say, look, uh, you can empathize, you want to care, and, and be there with them and say, but, you know, here's a greater vision of what the Lord's called us to be as God's people, um, that we don't neglect meeting. And, and encouraging that person that they, it's not just about them putting their bum in a seat, but they're here wanting to pray for the person that's sitting across for them, wanting to engage with the, the next person and, and how can they encourage them. They're contributors here and we actually need them. And so um, if they're awkward or whatever it might be, that's, um, well, guess what? The, the, and the, as I said earlier, this church is made up of all kinds of different shapes and sizes and colors, isn't it? 
And so you might be able to connect with someone that I couldn't or Dan couldn't. Um, and the Lord providentially could use you in that moment. So for you not to actually not to be here, it's, it's actually withholding in a sense a, to, to bless somebody. And so giving that, that picture, not in a way that's guilting, but just in a way to see that you're actually contributing to something much greater than even your own anxiety. So, yeah. Yeah, and even the point you were making earlier, uh, Rob, about how our church is, I think you used the word weird, like... <laughs> I can't remember quite what the word was, but we're, we're sort of odd bods, aren't we? Like we're, we're, and I mean that actually very affectionately because um, how good is it that we're a church of, of all different walks of life and ages and socioeconomic and, and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. I wouldn't want to be part of a, a church that's different to this, where everyone's just the same, you know? Um, but it's a lovely picture uh, of, of the diversity that the church is meant to represent, um, like in 1 Corinthians 12, that the body of Christ, not everyone is, you know, a mouth, <laughs> like this guy who can speak really well, um, and uh, not everyone is an eye, and not everyone is a foot, not everyone is a hand. We, the whole body actually needs every part. And so you might think that if you're the socially anxious type, you don't have a role to play. Actually, God thinks different, and, uh, and you're very much needed in his church. Mm. Yeah. Um, another one on uh, gathering. Um, when people who've been hurt or used previously by churches or people, so particularly Christians, I think they're hurt, used, abused by the church, how do we approach them with love and support to help them come to church with freedom and lack of fear? Yeah, I mean, it, without repeating everything I just said, right, it's continuing to, um, and, and you can empathize with those people and you should, um, but the Lord still call. It's like it's like a lot of things, right? Someone might say, um, "Well, I'm I'm very shy and introverted by nature." Okay, the Great Commission doesn't apply to you then. Like that would be silly, right? Like the Great Commission applies to all of us. That doesn't mean it's not a struggle. That doesn't mean it's you're gonna have to really like be pushed by your, as Dan was saying, by your fellow Christian brothers and sisters. But you're still called to fulfill the Great Commission irregardless of how you feel or how you've maybe been burned. Maybe you went out and tried to share the gospel and someone screamed and cussed at you, right? That's actually happened to me, right? But, but then what do I say? Never doing that again? No way. You, know, have, you have another go at it. And so, you know, um, you don't want to just brush off someone's hurts, but they also, I think it's a disservice to people to allow those hurts to dictate the rest of their life in such a way to where they could actually be coming, as we just talked about there in Hebrews, to contribute. And so um, it's not to be insensitive to those hurts, but also just it's, it's, not, it's not loving just to allow them to live in that space forever, to actually just rip them up out of that. So, yeah. Gently, but yeah. <laughs> sometimes gently, sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is where we well, have both of us. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right, that's yeah. right, yeah. What was it? I'm the caring one. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's Which right. is actually not true, by the way. Sometimes that gets joked about here. Uh, not true that I'm not the caring one. Um, uh, that, that actually Rob is, is fantastically caring, um, uh, just in a slightly different way to, uh, to how I do. Um, so here's a, here's a question um, also on gathering. I don't know if you've got more to add on this, um, but uh, what happens if someone says they're committed to gathering together, but then they just skip Sundays for no good reason? That was from your daughter, by the way, from Sailor. That's a great question, honey. Yeah. Um, Good question. Yeah. So that's why we have, that's why the elders and I have been doing this church covenant together. And so um, when, 
you people have read through the church covenant and they're convinced by it, um, we're going to ask people to actually sign it and to date it and so that they can put some ownership to it. Um, that's how serious we are about this. And so for someone that can't sign that, they really need to think through it. If they say, well, I don't really want to be here, you know, I want to come when I want to come and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, we don't think you should sign the church covenant. And at the same time, you're always welcome here. No one's going to bar the door, but you can't be integrated into church life here if you're not willing to commit to it. So um, Daddy can talk to you more about that when I get home. But So qu yeah. another question on that one, because we've got a couple yeah. of questions on, yeah, yeah. on that idea of covenant. Um, so one is, is the idea of a covenant seems a bit weird. Isn't that just for me and God? So I think like, you know, the, the biblical picture of God makes a covenant to save us in Jesus how can you talk about us having a covenant with each other? That's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, it would seem, particularly with um, how bad the church is viewed today. In other words, how bad church ecclesiology is practiced today. You know, one of the things, if you study church... Um, stop for a sec. What's ecclesiology? Study the church. Okay, Thank cool. you. Could you just, every Sunday when I say words, just like jump in like that? Um, so one of the things, they so back in the 1600s, churches were breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church in order for those churches themselves to actually draw circles, so to speak, and say who's in, who actually believes these things, and who's committed. They developed these things called church covenants. So um, it might seem weird today to say, ooh, I've never been to a church that makes people sign contracts and things. Well, that's just because we're ignorant of the past. That sounds harsh, but it's just reality. So it's not as if, you know, wow, this is the weird cult thing that the elders have come through. No, it's, it's actually just part and parcel. It's just looking downstream of where our brothers and sisters have been for hundreds of years in church history. It's just unfortunate that in the 21st century, we've really lost that. And so it, while, while on the one hand, it might seem sort of odd or uh, legalistic or whatever, it's, ju it's just not. It's just actually putting ownership into saying, this is what I can expect of you, brother, sister, and what you can expect of me. And so, um, happy to talk more about that, but, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's good, mate. I, I, I just actually was thinking about this during the week. Um, I've been on staff now, well, well, as of two weeks or three weeks' time, I'll have been on staff here for 10 years, which is pretty wild to think. Um, and, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of ups and downs in the church over that time, strengths, weaknesses, all that stuff, both in myself and, and in all of us. Um, and, and I think this is actually, like, such a critical piece for the next chapter of our church. Um, I've seen plenty over the last 10 years. I think this is probably, oh, I hesitate to say, but it's almost the most important thing that I reckon I've contributed to in this church has been this, this piece on, on commitment and, and covenant. Um, and so glad that, that Rob's brought some of his experience and, and thinking to that. Ah, yeah, careful in saying that because there's been lots of really important things that I've been involved in this church. But it's... it's you almost can't overstate the criticalness of this from my point of view. And at least the only other thing I'd add to that as well, um, there's plenty of churches right now that have these church covenants. Many of the, you know, the friends that I get in to preach here, all their churches have church covenants. This is how they operate. So it's not like, while on the one hand it might seem that we're a bit odd, um, it's, it's, it's actually not. This is, again, many of these churches, even some of them that have planted churches have then moved these things forward. Um, as important pieces of expectations of our life together. So, yeah. Cool. Two more really quick questions, um, just on Church Covenant. 
Uh, what if I don't feel like I can really do the things that are, that are listed there? So like, we will seek the salvation of our family and friends. You know, I don't feel like I can live up to that, that one. Um, what, should, I, should I sign something like that? Should I, how, how does, what should I do? Yeah, that's, and I think what you said was perfect um, earlier is, I mean, of course we, we can't, I mean, right? I mean, the, like the flesh is weak. Um, and so that's why we need each other. Um, what, what we're asking of all of us, myself included, by the way, is that we're asking all of us to say, can we commit that we're going to seek the salvation of our family and friends? We're going to pray. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to push each other along. Um, just this happens with Dan and I um, and, and Andrew. I, I, they have family members who aren't Christians. I have family members who aren't Christians. And I said, you know, I thought about, you know, some of your family members. Dan, can you imagine if, and, I, and we just start having those conversations. And what would it look like to get in a conversation, say, with, you know, one of your family members this week? And Dan's like, oh, wow. So, and he's doing the same with me. Um, and so um, that, that's just what it looks like. It's not um, saying, well, if I'm going to sign this, you know, all of the Central Coast is going to become a Christian. That'd be amazing. Praise God, right? But um, hopefully that adds clarity. Yeah. Cool. And just on evangelism as well, um, this is the last question. Uh, wouldn't evangelism be more successful if the church ran evangelistic programs that are like planned by experts <laughs> rather than through people with no training? No. I like it. It's a good short answer. <laughs> Any reason why not? Yeah. Um, because it, it makes the church dependent. It makes the, you guys dependent on us. And have, like, for instance, two Sundays ago, when I shared on evangelism, I said, text someone. Uh, that potentially was, if 60 of you did that, that's 60 conversations. That's potentially 60 gospel conversations. By the way, though we can't do any events right now, just for the record, any programs, but yet we're, we're still doing one to reach 60 people, potentially. And so what it does is it, it actually cripples you guys. It actually makes you guys dependent on us. And what we're saying is we want to equip you as what Ephesians tells us to do, equip the saints for the works of ministry. So let's just say that um, Wyoming is becoming more and more international. Okay, let's say that there, and this might be true, let's say there's a huge Vietnamese population here, right? Someone might say, raise their hand at AGM and say, what's the church going to do to re reach the Vietnamese people? Ah, sister, I'm so glad. I love your heart behind that. What if you and three or four of the other ladies try to learn a couple basic Vietnamese uh, words and way to communicate? What if you invested your time into getting to know the culture? What if you tried to have some of those people over your house? And then you share the gospel with them, as opposed to someone says, well, oh, okay, well, Dan, what are we going to do? What are we, we going to do? And then it adds more programs. Simple church is better church that can actually equip the saints and have you guys out in that community. And to be frank, I doubt some of those women, the Vietnamese women or the people that are coming in, they may not even come to this church. And even if they do, there's going to be language barriers and all those things. They're always welcome to. But you see, it's a lot, it's a lot more effective to have you guys, the church, out there in the community equipped. And that's what we want to do with you guys. Hopefully, maybe that was the 
something embedded in the question, is we want to do this together and equip you to do it better. And so rather than just say, well, check out all these cool programs that we can provide for you. And to be realistic, let, let's be realistic here. What, there's 60, 70 of us at this church? We've got a budget that we're kind of making. We don't have the resources to put on all these bigger than life programs. We don't. But I think it's better, it's, that is a great opportunity to actually say, well, then what can we do then? Well, what, what we can do, like Dan said earlier, there's people that are in your circle that God has placed you that you know way better than Dan and I, and that you can speak to areas of their life that we just, we just don't know. We don't know what's going on. And, and that's assuming that we can even get them here as well. I think, to be honest, in a post-Christian Australia, I think gone are the days of big events. Gone are the days of megachurch. I really do, especially COVID world. I think gone are the days of the Billy Graham crusade, let's get them all here. That was awesome in the 50s. I just don't know if that's going to happen. As, I mean, I, praise God if it does. I just don't see that happening as much anymore. Most of the people I rub shoulders with at Aaron Affair, the shops at Wyoming, they're not interested. Uh, you know, but, I, but if I can build a relationship with them, I can have them over, like an example of this. Um, I go to Boon Thai in Greenpoint. So if you haven't had that, there's the advertisement. Boon Thai, super good. Dan's been there. It's excellent. But the people that work there, um, they, they work on a Sunday. They're, they're working now. So like I could say, hey, what if you took a Sunday off and you came to, you, you, that's never going to happen. But I said, hey, when we get out of lockdown, I said just, just recently, I said, what if we have you guys over our house for a barbecue? And they're kind of like, oh, thanks. And I was like, you know, that's a bit awkward, but I was like, we live around the corner, we live right over there. What if we have you guys over for a barbecue? And that way, we can start to engage with them, and, and I can try, hopefully share the gospel there. And I, but I need you guys praying for me to do that. I, I need you guys to encourage me to, to, to hold my feet to the fire, so to speak, to do that. So I don't know if that answers yeah, that, but you can... Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah. No, no, that's good. Cool. Hey, I uh, really appreciate all the questions you guys have asked. Um, if you've got more questions, please feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, Rob's details and my details are up on the website. Uh, you can also hit our, our church uh, email address. Again, that's up on the website on the Contact Us page. Uh, but just to finish this up,